Amen. Praise God. Good morning. Let's exalt in the Lord together by reading his word. Sound good? This is Acts chapter 12, and our passage this morning is verses 1 through 19. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. This is the word of God. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter in the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on sandals. And he did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. And Peter himself said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel, rescued me from the hand of Herod. And from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where there were many gathered there and they were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And then they opened and they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now then day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. But he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. Amazing passage of scripture. What a miraculous amazing deliverance that you worked for the Apostle Peter and for the church. What an incredible victory. Lord Jesus, you are always on the victorious side. To be with you is to be on the greatest side that there is in the world. And in the unseen realm as well, Lord, there is such deliverance and joy in being close to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, when enemies come our way, like Herod and 
religious Jews that are like a mob against Christianity. Oh God, you, by grace, set us aside and you protect and you deliver and you glorify your name. And Lord, would you do that for us this morning? Would you speak to us this morning? Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Oh God, would you help us to be on your side? Would you help us to pray and give thanks and rejoice and worship and be excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, keep us far from the other side, Satan's domain. Lord, may we not fall prey to the wiles of the devil and Herod and enemies. But God, may you do a great work this morning. Do it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we are so humbled to be in your presence. We pray that you would speak to us, every one of us, in our hearts for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome to church. My name is Josh. If you're with us for the first time, I'm the preaching pastor. Very thankful that you're here with us this morning. And we are continuing our sermon series called The Thriving Church. And my sermon title this morning is Satan Loses and Jesus Wins. How do you like that one? Satan Loses and Jesus Wins. Now, as we get into the text of Scripture, Acts 12 is all about this battle that happens between Herod and Peter, and Satan and Jesus, darkness and light. We'll get into it. But may I lead off by saying VBS week was awesome. It was awesome. Praise the Lord. VBS was great because we got to reach a bunch of kids for Jesus. We got to minister to our own kids for Jesus. Castles and knights and princesses and dragons in medieval times, right? All those things. And you'll be happy to know, we got a little highlight video for you from VBS. Two minutes long, you get to see the highlights. As you think of those highlights, I got not one pie in the face, not two pies in the face, not three, but all God's people said four. Yeah. And I did it for Jesus' glory. Can I get an amen? I did all that for Christ. That was cool. You all clapping for me getting pied in the face? I think we have to... All right. I think we might need to change strategy for Sunday morning services a little bit. But no, VBS was great. Our leaders, our workers were amazing. Everybody did such a great job. So we're going to just show you a little two-minute highlight video of what God did this week with our kids. So enjoy this video as it goes.
it was truly a great week, and VBS is, is just an awesome week because it is the time to get the victorious gospel to our kids, amen? It's just so good, like get the gospel to the next generation, watch God work and bring light into darkness, and it was, it was really cool. Uh, one song that was really popular during VBS week was a song by Ren Collective called Marching On. Some of you know this song, some of you don't, but it became like a real big hit amongst the kids because it's got a catchy beat. And there was a lot of clapping and wonderful things that happened in this song. But it also had great theology as well. So there is this really cool uh, moment, like as Julie was leading it up here, like there's all these coordinated clapping things, like you had to like clap, and then you had to like spin and like clap at the right time. That was worth its price of admission (laughs) to watch adults do that. And I'm sure I looked ridiculous as well, but we did it for Jesus and it was a lot of fun. But one lyric of that song that etched in my mind was very powerful was this lyric. And I think we have it up on the screen for you. We'll sing hallelujah for all hell to hear. How cool is that? I guess aggressive, isn't it? Like that. Shout loud hosanna above every fear. Strongholds will crumble like castles of sand. We are marching on. Yeah, we're marching on, you know? And it was just this really cool declaration of victory because when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about things in the spiritual realm. We're talking about the fact that Satan loses and Jesus wins. Can I get a Christian amen? That's the truth of the gospel. So as we go into this message and as we approach Acts 12, it's a really good lead-in because in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 12, if you've never read Ephesians 6, 12 before, mark it down, read it sometime today. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers and cosmic forces of darkness in this present age, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you didn't know, Ephesians 6 tells us the truth of the gospel. Jesus Christ came to get victory in the souls of men and women. That is why Christ came. He came to save people from their sins. So your problem is not with your boss, right? Put, put that face in your mind or that person. They're like, oh, if I wish, if I just had, you know, something I could change about that person. Your battle is not against them. Your battle is in a spiritual realm. That is the battle that all Christians face. And here's the reality of the battle. Satan loses, hallelujah, and Jesus wins, hallelujah. Now, when Lucifer fell, he rebelled against God. He was an archangel, rebelled against God. In Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, you can read about that. He tried to become God. He tried to replace God. He got thrown down into this present darkness. He got thrown down into the prince of the power of the air. He got thrown down into this realm down here. And ever since there's been a battle going on between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness, Satan and Jesus. And here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus won the battle over sin, death, and the grave. Hallelujah. When he went to the cross, he paid for your sins, every single one of them. And then he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, declaring victory over death. So therefore, the greatest things that would keep us from God are now moved out of the way if we would, what? Repent and believe. If we repent and believe, we go on the winning side. 
How many of you like to be on the winning side? I know I do. I love to be on the winning side. You know I love to be on the winning side. Now, for some of you, you cheer for your teams and you go for your squads and whoever you cheer for. Uh, But look, that's all subjective, right? Your team is not as good as you think they are. And some of you are really dumb like me and you've chosen losers to cheer for for your entire life. So I'm just stuck with my teams, right? So here's the thing. That's all subjective. Here's what's not subjective. There is a real team that you don't want to be a part of. And that's Satan and his side. And that is real. And there is real darkness and there is a hell that is real. And there is a power of darkness that is at work in this day and age. And you do not want any part of it. Trust me. And then there's the other side that is Jesus's side. And you want to be all in that, right? And if you know Christ is your savior, if you've been redeemed by grace, you know what a gift it was that God pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. What a miracle that God did it. And some of you, I want to encourage you, you've forgotten maybe the joy of your salvation. I'm encouraging you to get back to that place where you are thankful for the grace of Almighty God that moved you from the the kingdom of darkness or the side of Satan to the side of Jesus. And for some of you here this morning, you're on Satan's side and you don't know it. You're just walking, you're just doing life and you walked into this church and you are not saved. You might even be religious but you're on the wrong side. And I'm going to plead with you as a pastor to come to the side of the gospel, the side of Jesus Christ. So in our passage, the church runs into this battle against evil Herod. And Peter will end up in prison and his life will be in the balance in Acts chapter 12. There's a real spiritual warfare going on in Acts 12, 1 through 19. Satan will lose, Jesus will win. But this this passage is very powerful and I hope it's an encouragement And I hope it opens up your eyes. Here's the big idea. In the ups and downs and the highs and lows of spiritual warfare, Satan loses and Jesus wins, okay? How many of you can give me an amen like there's highs and lows in life? There's there's ups and downs, right? In the ups and downs and the highs and lows, whether you feel close to God or far away, in that spiritual battle that's going on all around you, Be assured of the fact that Acts 12 says that Satan will lose every time. Hang in there, Christian, and Jesus will win. And you need to see that. Now, Peter's statement, he gives a statement of winning in verse 11. So if you can look with me in verse 11, Peter came to himself and said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. Victory, win, right there. And all the Jewish people from what all the Jewish people were expecting. So here's, let's summarize the story of Acts chapter 12. I'm going to give you the whole story in about a minute. Here we go. Herod persecutes the church and kills James, one of the sons of thunder. Very sad, very sad. After that, Herod arrests Peter and he plans to kill him as well, Barabbas style. And then he had to wait though until Passover was completed. Meanwhile, the church is earnestly in prayer for Peter. The church is, they're meeting in the houses and they're praying for Peter. Oh God, please save Peter. Meanwhile, that the night before his execution, God delivers and rescues Peter. Jesus wins. Peter thinks he's dreaming. He comes to and, and right outside the iron gate, and he said, that wasn't a dream. That really happened. 
And then he goes to the house where the church is praying, and one of the most hilarious portions of Scripture happens in all the New Testament. A servant girl, Rhoda, recognizes his voice, and in her joy, Peter's alive. She totally leaves him stranded on the street. It's hilarious. The church then cannot believe that their prayers have been answered. Amen for doubting prayers of Christians. Like, what? Our prayers got answered? Are you serious? Right? And then Peter comes in. They have this exciting time of worship. And then he tells them all to quiet down. He's like, shh, don't tell anybody. I got to go because Herod's going to chop my head off. I'm going to leave, right? And then he leaves. Herod, the next day, is somewhat upset or very upset that Peter is gone and he orders everybody to die, everybody. And then he goes on vacation, the end, right? That's it. So this morning, we're going to see two different sides. I'm going to lay out for you Satan's side first and, and plead with you not to be a part of that side. And then I want to, I want to show you the side of Jesus. And I want to do everything I can to encourage you to be on Jesus' team, on his side. So let's look at the losing side, Satan's losing side. What is the losing side like? Let's get a little more insight into this. What is the losing side like? And then how do we identify the losing side today? Losing side of the spiritual truth in the gospel is this. The losing side is made up of people who are power-hungry mob pleasers. Power-hungry mob pleasers. And that's verses 1 through 4. And you have Herod, the king, laying violent hands on James, and he kills James, the brother of John. And then when he sees that it pleases the Jews, he's like, well, I can keep this going. I'll get Peter for you guys too. We'll chop his head off as well. Now, who is this Herod? There's a lot of Herods in the Bible. There's a lot of Herods in the New Testament. Which one is this one? This is Herod Agrippa. We got a little picture of him, a little statue of him. This is Herod Agrippa. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. Okay, so Herod the Great, his grandson is Herod Agrippa, the guy we're talking about. Herod the Great, you might know as the grandfather who tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was born. Herod the Great made a, made a declaration that all boys under two years old should be killed because he, he was trying to kill the Messiah. This is his grandson, Herod Agrippa. He is not a good man. He is self-obsessed, he is proud, he is selfish, he is pragmatic. He mainly cares about him, himself and himself alone. Sound like any leaders you know of today, right? This guy is, he's not so much an enemy of the church, he's just about himself. He's so self-absorbed that he will do whatever it takes to wield as much power as he can, and the church just happens to get in the way in this passage, and he will run over the church kill whoever he's got to kill because he's trying to build up his power more and more. So he is a power-hungry person who pleases the mob. And we're going to get to who the mob is in a little bit. But he is, the, he is, a, he is a evil leader, and he's in a long line of other evil leaders throughout the Bible. So Herod the Great, obviously I just mentioned him. King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament, and the list goes on and on. There's a lot of evil leaders who want a lot of power. Now, this is evil because we see a lot of that in our day today. We see a lot of leaders like this who they don't care about. They don't care about people. They only care about wielding more power. And they'll do whatever they got to do 
to wield more power. God is an afterthought, if a thought at all, in these leaders' minds. They're mostly concerned about the mob and what does the mob want? I will give the mob what they want. Not that there are any, you know, modern day examples of this, but I'm just telling you, this is how it was back in the day. Now, Herod, what did he do? He killed James, the brother of one of the sons of thunder. Now, James, this is so sad because James is such a stud for Jesus. He's just awesome. Now, what do, you, what do I mean? Well, James is very famous for his zeal and his intimacy with Christ and his foolish request. So in Luke chapter 7, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9, James and John, they come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, Lord, there's this one guy not following you. See him over there? You see that guy over there? Like, if you give power... We will gladly call lightning down from heaven to land on that guy right over there. And we can do that for you, Lord. If you just give us the power, we'll go do that right now. Very zealous, right? And Jesus looks at the two brothers and he's like, boys, like I got a nickname for you. I'm going to call you the sons of thunder because that's who James was. Very zealous man, but he was also very intimate with Jesus. Only James and John and Peter so James got to see Jesus in his full glory, which implies intimacy with Christ. And then there was one moment with James where he had a foolish request in Matthew chapter 20. Actually, his mom did. His mom came up to Jesus and said, hey, my two boys, can they sit at your right hand and at your left hand in your kingdom? And Jesus is like, listen, that's not for me to decide. And, and listen, mom, you go ahead and back off. All right. No helicopter mommy here. Like back off. And he looks at James and John. He's like, can you guys drink the, the drink, drink? Oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, the cup of suffering. We got that. And Jesus is like, you will get the cup of suffering. Absolutely. But I can't guarantee you that you're going to be all right in my left in my kingdom. So James is just an amazing follower of Christ, an amazing, zealous lover of Jesus. And he is decapitated in this passage. Now, some say, I've heard, I've heard accounts of how James was cut but here's the deal. It was not pretty. And Herod, being a people pleaser, he kills James. And everybody, all the Jews are like, yeah. The Jewish mob is like, yeah, man, more. We hate this Christianity stuff. And so, you know, um, Herod being the politician that he is and the power player that he is, like, oh, you like that? I can do that too. Let's get Peter. Let's get the number one apostle out of all 12. We'll get him. I'll kill him. And then I'll really have the claps of the people who matter. So we rest Peter. Throws him in prison. Herod doesn't care. But who are, this, who are these Jews? They're related in verse 3, verse 4, and verse 11. We've got three um, references to this Jewish kind of religious people. Do you remember the Apostle Paul before he got saved? How he was a person who was very zealous for the law? This is like a whole mob of them. A whole mob of people that were very vocal. Not huge in popularity, but very vocal. And they had Herod's ear. And they said, we want Peter. And Herod's like, I'll give you Peter. Now, here's the thing. He gets Peter and he gives him four squads of soldiers around him. This is big time. 16 soldiers in total. This week, I was like, how many, how many people are in a squad? That's a lot of people. 16 soldiers around one guy. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we would not even get one soldier. We're not that important. We wouldn't even get one. I'm pretty sure one could probably handle most of us. 16 soldiers sitting around Peter saying, you're not going anywhere, pal. This is Herod saying he's in control. 
This ain't going to happen. He is not getting away. Now, Peter has already gotten away twice. Herod's saying, it's not happening again. Here's the thing about Herod. Power-hungry, mob-pleasing leader. He's on the wrong team. He's on Satan's team. You know, Christian, please understand. Don't be ignorant of the time. Satan is still a very good recruiter. He employs people still today like Herod to do his thing. And these power-hungry people will do whatever the powerful mob wants them to do, regardless of who is in the way. And I want to tell you, this is the arena we live in in 2023. There's a real spiritual war out there, and people are really on Satan's side, and they really don't care about you as a Christian. They are out to show themselves to be power players. And they'll do whatever the mob tells them to do. What do I mean? Well, if you look at the arenas that we live in, we live in an economic arena, we live in a political arena, we live in a sports arena, we live in an education arena, and make no mistake that there are power players all over the place that are like Herod. They don't care about Jesus. They don't care about his kingdom. They care about having power and having more of it. That is the wrong side. That's the losing side. Don't be on that side. Inside number two is not only power players, but angry people. The second characteristic, angry. Verse 18 and 19, there was no little disturbance amongst the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Herod searched for him, couldn't find him. He examined the sentries, ordered that they be put to death, and then he goes to Caesarea for a vacation. This guy is like merciless, ruthless, angry. He's on a killing spree. You could say that Herod, you could say that he's not a good loser, right? You could say that the soul, <laughs> they wake up the next day, no Peter, 16 of them, no Peter, where'd he go? I don't know. Uh, this is bad. We're dead. We're looking at each other saying we're dead. And then Herod wakes up. He is living and he is on a mission of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and violence and ultimately murder. This is losing side number two. Satan cannot beat Jesus. Praise the Lord, right? Because of that, he's very angry. And he is moving in people towards anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. And he lets those people run and run hard and fast. So unsaved people are angry people, unsaved people are bitter people, and unsaved people are unforgiving people. This is Herod. Herod is angry, bitter, and unforgiving. He is on a killing spree. Now, if I can ask you something this morning, I got to ask you, are you on this team? Please don't be on this team. Are you on this team? Here's what I mean. Is anger in your heart? Is bitterness in your heart? Is unforgiveness in your heart? Some of you are religious, just like the Jewish mob. You're very religious, but you're completely lost. The Jewish mob is, man, they're going to church. And they're also overseeing the murder of Peter. They're going to church on Sunday. And they are doing all kinds of things. Blood on their hands, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I'm asking you this morning, I'm not saying that you're unsaved. I'm saying you are angry, bitter, and unforgiving. And that rules your heart have no confidence that you are saved. You need a hard word this morning because I'd rather see you repent and go to heaven. Get right. Don't play a game. Don't be on Satan's losing side. It's full of anger. It's full of wrath. It's full of murder. 
Okay, enough bad news, right? How about we go to the good news, amen? The winning side. What's the winning side all about? What's Jesus' team about? Winning side is this. It's filled with people who are praying and trusting. Praying and trusting people, verse 5 and 6. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. And Peter is sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. So the church, let's talk about them first in verse 5. The earnest prayer is being made for them. When, when the church heard about Peter's predicament, they had a prayer meeting. Wouldn't you like to have been a part of that prayer meeting? You want to talk about power and desperation, tears, passion. You want to talk about a, a prayer that is desperate before God. This is the great weapon of the church. What's the weapon of the church? Great organization, a building. Only grocery stores make the best churches. Amen. Is that what we need to do? Buy all the grocery stores? That's how the kingdom of God moves forward the best. How does the kingdom of God, maybe it's got to be great preaching. And if your preaching's not great, then too bad for you. Like, like maybe it's that. No, the great weapon of the church is prayer. Getting on your face before God with your small group and your church and taking advantage of every opportunity to pray. That is the weapon that God uses for his side. The great activity. John, John Piper said it this way. He said, prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. Prayer is the essential activity of waiting on God. This is not normal prayer meeting. This is not some normal prayer meeting. This is an earnest prayer meeting. And the Greek word there means constant or continual. This is a passionate, nonstop prayer meeting that happened all night long in the church. That's awesome. So what should we do this hits? What should we do when our culture falls apart? What do we do when circumstances are tough? What do we do when our leaders are threatened? Things don't look good out there. What do we do? The church prays. Church, may you be inspired to pray this week. The church was making earnest prayer because God loves to answer prayer. God loves to do miraculous things through his church praying. So that's awesome. What's the second thing that's happening here? There's trust going on. Trust. Whose trust? Peter's trust. Verse 6. Peter, what is he doing? What is Peter doing during this prayer meeting and this intense moment? He's sleeping. And all God's people said, give me that nap. Amen. Peter's sleeping. What in the world? Now, this indicates his trust in God. He's looking at the last night he's going to be on planet earth and he is sleeping. How many of you would be sleeping the night before your death sentence? The night before you're going to die, how many of you would be sleeping? I don't know if there's going to be too many of us sleeping. Here's Peter resting and saying, you know what? Jesus already told me I'm going to die. John chapter 20 already told me it's happening. He told me it's coming and here it is and I'm ready. Praise the Lord. What an amazing thing. Now, on a funny note, Peter has a habit of sleeping, doesn't he? <laughs> this guy, he's always sleeping. He's sleeping in the garden. What are you doing? Wake up, you know, like right before Jesus goes to the cross. Wake up, man. Peter is sleeping. And Peter, in a sarcastic way, could tell Jesus, well, that's what you did in the boat, right? Remember when Jesus slept in the boat because he was trusting God? But Peter is sleeping. He's got a problem with sleeping, but he is sleeping. And this is the good kind of sleep. He's sleeping because he trusts God. Now, think about it. He's the only one sleeping. 
Herod is up. Herod's up. Herod's, he's plotting. He's thinking about, I can't wait for that guy to wake up and he's going down. Herod's up. The church is up. Everybody's praying for Peter. Peter is resting in God. This is what it means to be in God's side, on his team. Psalm 127.2 says he gives to his beloved what? Sleep, rest, amazing. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to rest and trust in the sovereignty of God, to trust in his good plan for your life. You can sleep. So we have to be praying and we have to be trusting. This is what it means to be on the right side, to be on Jesus' side. That's how you know you're with Christ and with the gospels. You trust him and you pray. This is really good. Second thing about the winning side is that it's obedient and worshipful. It's filled with obedient and worshipful people. And we'll fly through this. But the angel of the Lord comes to Peter, strikes him in the side, wakes him up, get up quickly, chains fall off, dress yourself, put on your sandals, okay, wrap your cloak, okay, follow him down through the the streets, okay. Peter obeys the vision. What a vision to have, by the way. This, this glorious angel shows up in the prison cell, light shows up, and then he, he, he delivers divine deliverance. Now, the angel strikes Peter. Now, some of you guys circled that verse already. Like, dude, he struck him. He struck the, bam! Like, you're picturing like this angel coming into the jail and like, boom! And Peter's like, ah, dude, ouch, Right? Most of you guys are like hoping, this is a really violent term, right? This is, I can go hit my brother in Christ later today. And they can be like, dude, what are you doing? And you're like, just giving you a little angelic hit, right? It's just bam. Okay. I hate to disappoint you guys with some, with some Greek, but in the Greek, this is not a hard word. This is a soft word. So for all of you guys hoping to hit one another and, and call it divine, right? This is a to push or to lightly tap. This was like a little tap on the shoulder, like, Peter, wake up. The, the angel was very gracious. Now, the angel gives Peter five commands, and Peter obeys all five. Get up, put on your sandals. Okay, I'll do that. Go here, do that. Okay, I'll do this, and here we go. Now, part of it is Peter thinks he's seen a vision, but part of it is that he is very obedient. You don't see Peter standing there in the jail cell being like, well, no, dude, I'm not doing that. Like, dude, no, I'm not leaving, okay? Like, who are you? How do I know God sent you? You don't see him, like, debating. He's obeying. This is, the, this is an indicator that you're on the side of Christ. You obey God's word when it comes to you. Some of you need to wake up to this point. Some of you read your Bibles. You don't care. You're not going to obey. You're not going to do it. You're going to do it how you want to do it. And here's what Peter says. Peter is our example of an obedient Christian. That's how you know you're on Jesus' side. You obey him. Can I get an obedient amen? That's good. So Peter experiences this, but they also experience this exciting worship. He obeys the angel. Out they go. And then he comes to Mary's house and he knocks on the door. This is hilarious. In a truly funny moment, Rhoda recognizes Peter's voice. In her joy, leaves him outside. (laughs) Your Bible is funny. This is it. This is a hysterical piece. This is the apostle Peter, Rhoda's like a servant girl. She's not high on the pecking order. And yet she gets to hold it over on the apostle. I love this moment. Peter, it's you. Yes, it's me. Would you let me in? Out of here. Rhoda. Rhoda, this is not funny. Rhoda, let me in. 
right? Another funny moment comes into view. The church simply does not believe their prayers have been answered. This is hysterical. Lord, we pray for Peter. Oh God, deliver him. Lord, bring him out of this prison cell. Hey guys, Peter's here. You're out of your mind. (laughs) Don't you know we're having a prayer meeting here? Lord, we pray for Peter. Please rescue him. Please bring him back to us, God. Hey, guys, Peter is here. Come on, Rhoda. You're seen as angel or something. Like, are you serious? Now, let's be honest. How many Christians have prayed that kind of prayer before? And God gives you the answer and you don't believe it. You don't even believe it because you're like, well, I prayed, but maybe not with like, you know, 100% faith. It was like like a 47% faith prayer. And God does it. And then people say, hey, God did this big thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty sure God can't save that guy. And I'm pretty sure God can't provide over here. And I'm pretty sure that God, like you're just like poking holes because you didn't really believe when you prayed. God doesn't care whether you believe or not. He'll answer according to his will and his ways. Amen? That's cool. So when they finally saw him, when they finally let him in the house, they were amazed. The word amazed means that they were having some celebration, excited worship because God did this thing. Now, it was loud. Worship was loud. How do I know it was loud? Because Peter had to motion for them to be quiet. Shh, quiet, right? I need a moment here. But you could see that, that worship exciting. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody's talking. Everybody's celebrating. But Peter said, quiet down. Here's what happened. I got to go because Herod's going to kill me. All right? All right. Let's just ready to break, right? The Christian side, Jesus's team, His side is exciting worship, celebratory worship. When God answers a prayer, we celebrate that. One of our core values at church is the gospel is celebrated at Living Waters. When we hear of someone getting saved, we had a kid get saved um, at the end of VBS on Friday night. Hallelujah. Like, let's, let's lift it up. Let's praise Jesus for that. Like, if God is answering your prayers, hallelujah, lift it up. And you're like, well, I don't know if I have any prayers answered this week. How about this? You're breathing. Amen. Is that an answered prayer? That's pretty good. You're upright. Let's just thank God for that. Every breath you breathe is a gift from God. Let's lift him up. Let's get excited about what God is doing in your life. So to be on Jesus's side means that we celebrate and we worship and we obey. So I close by saying this question, what side are you on what side are you on? Are you on Satan's side? The side of anger, the side of murder, the side of power playing, the side of mob rule. If you're there, I just plead with you, repent. Come to Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you on that side anymore. And if you, the second application is this. If you're on Jesus' side, what grace, what amazing grace that you had your eyes opened. God opened your eyes. God did it. He led you to repentance and faith. You're on Jesus' side for his glory. Hallelujah. You've been rescued from darkness. Celebrate like it. Now, Jesus won the battle. It's over. He's resurrected from the dead. May we walk in that truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this account in Acts 12 and Peter miraculous rescue by you. 
And God, would you please work on the hearts of everybody here this morning? I pray that you would be with those who are on Satan's side right now. They're on the wrong side of the spiritual ledger. They're walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. They're in darkness and anger and frustration and violence and fear. God, would you please save them? Bring them to repentance and faith. Help them to look to the cross and the resurrection and to believe for the first time personally in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you save some today. And God, would you be with every Christian who is here, Lord, that we've been brought over to the side of Jesus. We've been, we've been pulled to the side of light. And Lord, that was all your grace. So Lord, may we celebrate like it. May we pray for each other. May we be thankful. May we lift up your amazing miracles. And Jesus, may we experience those miracles right now, right here, by the power of the resurrected King. We're on the right side. Help us to live like it. Help us to respond like that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.